You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Peter. Hi, how you doing? Peter, tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself. First of all, for your, for everyone to understand, Peter, his name is Peter Anthony Holder. Now, Peter, what do you do professionally? I've been a broadcaster for 40 years. Really? What types of studios or anything do you broadcast with? Well, I did a radio show for over 20 years. I was also a television news anchor for about a decade. So. Which which did you prefer more, doing the the radio or doing the news anchor? Oh, radio, definitely. I've always been a radio. You know, I, I've I've applied for many jobs in radio through the course of my career. I've never applied for a television job. It's just always fallen in my lap. See, that's funny because I come from a background of everybody in my family is in radio, from owning their own stations to just diving into the whole realm. So I know a lot about broadcasting. Now, do you experience the broadcasting voice? What do you mean? This effect that they kind of do, like, you know, there's people that talk fluently and talk normally, like how we're doing right now. And then there's people go, you're listening to 93.5. Oh, shit. It it all depends on what type of radio station you're working at. You know, I was doing an all-talk radio show, so I didn't have to do that. But when I was in rock and roll radio, absolutely. Sometimes, usually, if you're um, with, like, broadcasters and stuff, especially at least with radio people I know, um, they tend to do that even in regular talk radio, just being able just to talk normally. I'm like, how do you keep that up for hours at a time? You're just sitting it's it's like a muscle almost. I mean, if somebody does it all the time regularly, you, you, you don't even realize if you're still doing it or you continue to do it. It just becomes part of their natural uh, cadence. Did, did you like? Did, uh, where did you where did you get your start in all this? When did you decide that this is what you wanted to be doing? When I was seven years old. <laughs> really, a, a little tape recorder? Well, not so little. Uh, back then, we we're talking about a reel to reel, a big Phillips recorder. Um, I spent most of my days locked in my bedroom, pretending to be on the radio. When all the kids were outside uh, playing ball hockey, because, you know, I'm in Canada, we play hockey. When all the kids were outside playing ball hockey, I was on the balcony doing play-by-play of the kids playing ball hockey. Wow. So you always kind of wanted to just uh, be the, not really involved in the actual sport, but you wanted to be the person that was announcing what's going on for the people maybe that would be listening out there. Absolutely. See, that's that's interesting because the longest time, my like everyone was like, why don't you do radio? Because your parents are in radio. It just makes sense. Like you can talk and stuff like that. And I really did not want to do it. And because I always remembered like throughout my years, people have told me like I was annoying and all this stuff like through school. So I was like, oh, I guess I don't have anything to say with my voice. And then recently, like with the podcast, um, I, I just decided like, why am I not doing this? This is something I listen to them every day. You know, it's just conversation. And I'm like, the whole reason for me having my podcast was I wanted to get everyone's experiences on this world together. And you asked me, like, what are some of the topics we talk about? I'm like, it's whatever we want, man. I'm sitting down with Peter. Right now, you're telling me the history of Peter. I want to know about, like, your life growing up. I want to know about Montreal, Quebec, because I'm from Maryland, East Coast, uh, close to Baltimore um, in the States. So I have no idea. When I think of Canada, all I'm thinking is bacon, maple syrup, and you guys say A a lot. <laughs> well, you know, the, and, and, and you just listed basically all of the, uh, the stereotypes about Canada. You know, the thing that uh, you can say about Canada is the fact that because we are basically all living along the border, and I'm talking, when I say we, I'm talking about Canadians. Most of Canada lives along the border all the way for 3,000 miles from coast to coast. And so we're very immersed in, in American culture. And sometimes, sometimes it is a tad annoying, the fact that we seem to know everything about you guys, and you seem to know nothing about us guys. Yeah, that actually, um, one of the things I do with my podcast is um, I interview students that come from Bulgaria, Romania, um, that come to uh, my work. And I'm like, you guys are coming 95% of the way. And what happens at my work is we give them a nickname. We give them a type of thing, like if their name is Christo or if their name is Bianca, they call them B, they call them Chris, they call them like, they totally cut down the name and the authenticity of who they are. And I'm like, you're demeaning that person. They're like, oh, it's just a difficult name to pronounce. I get that. But if we can meet them 5%, like 
I mean, they, they're coming all the way here and trying to experience something new. It's nice to make them feel a little bit comfortable. Well, and, you know, as, as the example you just described, my name is, is Peter. If I travel someplace else in the world, I'm not going to answer to Pedro. I'm not going to answer to Pierre. I'm not going to answer to Paniotis because my name is Peter. Who the hell is calling you Paniotis? Anybody who would call me Greeks because that's Peter in Greek. Oh, my goodness. I learn something new every single day. Yeah. See, the, the benefits of getting to understand people around you is so immense. You have so much you can learn. Like, you, First of all, you being in a, this radio broadcaster and having your time on the news, what, were the, what are the perks? What are the things that you find are the most fascinating things about your job? Not even the benefits, I guess, that a normal job would have, but just benefits to you as a person. Well, the the thing, you know, part of it is is who you you are as a human being. Uh, I, I guess because I was always interested in radio and I was always interested in talking to people, I was therefore then curious about people. And being a broadcaster allows you to express or engage your curiosity because it's it's one thing for you know the average person will look at a at a newspaper or a magazine and they'll read something and they'll go hmm that's an interesting article and i want to talk to the person in the article and my job allows me to do that so it basically gives you an outlet or gives you like basically your fix the thing you need that you want to do the little passion that you have and what's weird is a lot of people don't spend the time to even talk to one another anymore there are plenty of times you can walk around in the store and nobody ever really even looks at you in the eyes everybody's afraid to make eye contact and i think if we just took a little bit more time just to do like kind of things like whether it's broadcasting whether it's to do types of news anchor type things i don't like how I don't really like having a structure to anything. I like to be able to be free and be tangent and you know what I mean? And get people's experiences of who they really are. Ask the questions I want to ask. Now, having said that, by the way, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the fact that we don't seem to be connecting with one another in, in real time anymore. And that's unfortunate, but I must confess, I can be just as guilty of that uh, as anybody else, because when I'm not working, when I turn off my creative capacity in what I do for a living, I can be just as sullen and solitary as anyone else, unfortunately. Trust I'm aware you. of that fact. I, I, I do the same thing too, man. I actually, I, I, dude, I, I was... I was introvert for so many years just because I was like, wow, I guess I'm annoying. So I, there's no point in even talking to anybody anymore. And eventually I was like, you can't live this life forever. And, and there it's a natural fact. We all have a society meter. We all have a type of social thing. If you've ever played the game Sims where you have a, a health, like a hygiene meter where you have to take showers, your character has to do these types of things. It's like, a, I don't know if you know what Sims is, Peter. I, I know of it. I've never played it, but I know of it. Yes. Well, basically, it's putting yourself in a, like a kind of like a fantasy world, but you have to take care of yourself. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to eat food. You have to do all this stuff for your sim will die. And um, there's a social skill at the bottom of it. And I was like, that's weird. And ever since I saw that when I used to play it as a kid, I was like, that's really weird. Why do we have a social skill? If you ever experience not talking to anybody, just ignoring and kind of being alone for a really long time, you will notice things that you didn't know before when social interaction is brought to your attention. When someone just decides to say hi to you, you're like, whoa, what was that feeling I just got deep down inside me? I felt like something I just accomplished. And it was it's because you you neglected something that is seen as it's, it's as important as eating food. It's as important as doing something because we need it to survive. You cannot go 80 years or the rest of your life not talking to anybody and being completely or um, introvert, not going and talking to anybody. You just can't. It doesn't happen. Although uh, there are days when I'd love to try. <laughs> yes. And I mean, trust me, there are days I, I just like, I'm like, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. But it's the whole thing. We, we live on this world together. We all share this thing. We all live a life and we all are experiencing something. And it doesn't take much to say hi. You know, I, I went to school for psychology and I dealt with dealing like listening to depression cases and all these types of things like uh, Kyle Hines, who committed suicide by trying to jump off um, I think it was the Golden Gate Bridge. And he was just saying, like, I was crying on the bus. Nobody was talking to me. Nobody was even looking at me. If someone would have just said hi, I would not have had the courage to, or I wouldn't have had the, I guess, sadness to step off that bus and decide to take this jump. And I'm like, Wow, that really highlights something true. And now he's a motivational speaker trying to get the word out there like, hey, you are important. Sometimes 
it, all it takes is just holding the door open or doing something so small. It's that's that's something. I know as much as you want to go home or, you know, just relax in the Snuggie and watch Netflix, it doesn't matter because it only takes a minute of your time to either just respond to somebody and in a, hopefully a positive light. Sometimes negative help, sometimes negative is there too. Give them the kick in the ass to get moving. But with broadcasters, a lot of people look down at these people like, oh my God, there's so many of them out there. I'm like, no, there's a there's an outlet for it if you look for it. But much like anything, there's people out there willing to go and hunt down people for interviews. There's a guy that wants to go see why the hell there's a dude out there breeding or like breeding a three-headed dog. Like, wh- I want to know about that guy. I want to know about Bigfoot. I want to know the guy that puts all his money and investment into making the Bigfoot um, group in, I think it was Montana, that does like it's like $50,000 a year. And there's like, they have over a hundred something members. I'm like, I want to know that guy's story. He's got a tale to tell. Like what's your fascination with Bigfoot? Exactly. You know, you, you talk about the, the art of conversations and it just so happens and I'm not doing it to plug my book, but I'll plug my book. I, I wrote a book called great conversations. My interviews with two men on the moon and a galaxy of stars. And the subtitle of that book is important because it, it goes back to what I was saying before. I was fascinated growing up as a kid with the guys who uh, went to the moon with, with uh, the lunar landers. And many, many years ago, there was an HBO special called From the Earth to the Moon. And it was, and it was a 10-part series dramatizing the space race. And the very first episode of that show deals with Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. And I thought, well, gee, this is going to be kind of anticlimactic because they're starting off with what the biggest thing that happened in the last 50 years. How are they going to keep this show exciting for the next uh, nine episodes? And I watched all the episodes and I found them all fascinating, but then I'm a space geek anyway. And the thing I found most enjoyable was a guy named Harrison Schmidt, who was a pilot, not a pilot, uh, an astronaut rather, on Apollo 17, the last lunar lander to go to the moon. And the one thing about Harrison Schmidt is he's the only scientist of the 12 men who went to the moon. He's the only scientist. He was a geologist. And I just found his story fascinating. And I said, if the guy who's playing Harrison Schmidt in this TV movie is half as interesting as the actual guy, Harrison Schmidt is is just an amazing human being. I got to track him down. And I tracked him down, and I ha- I, I've, I've since had several interviews with him. I talked to him on, on three separate occasions on my old radio show. But it was just the opportunity to be able to, to, to reach out to someone, and having the excuse that I was a broadcaster gave me the opportunity to talk to a lot of the people I've talked to through the years. And it, it filled my curiosity that I could talk to one of, you know, I've, I've now talked to two of the guys who set foot on the moon. Okay, Not all right. Hang on. Now, do you believe any of the conspiracies that we, with the moon landing, how we faked it? Do you believe any of that kind of stuff? Because it it, hasn't it came out that there's evidence that the moon landing was fake. But like, I think the whole idea was we did it as a propaganda thing to tell Russia, hey, we reached here first. And we actually reached it a little bit later than we said we did. No, I don't believe that for a second. And why is that? Uh, I, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense because first of all, the Russians weren't even that close to getting someone to the moon. They were not, they were already in space. So uh, they were already already in space. They were in space before the, the, uh, the West, but going to the moon, they, they, they were in orbit. They hadn't gone out of earth's orbit. I thought Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. He was the first man in space. He orbited space. But he was not the first one out of the Americans made it out of Earth's orbit. Well, the whole reason we decided to research into space development, anyway, is that we found out Russia was doing it. Yes, it was. It was a space race. Yeah, uh, we decided. That, oh, Russia's going into space. We're going to do space. Same thing with. Um, if you ever seen the movie Men Who Stare at Goats with George Clooney, uh, that movie's based out of Fort Meade, Maryland, um, here, where they were actually creating psychological warriors for battle. And it was the whole idea that Russia was doing it first. Um, the only reason we won the space race, a lot of people don't actually know, was because of Operation Paperclip. Um, are you familiar with Operation Paperclip? Well, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, there's another way of dividing it. And I'm looking at this as an outsider. When I say outsider, someone who's not from Russia or from the United States, it's a question of 
whose Germans can get to the to, to the moon first. Exactly, because our, our whole space program, no one even realizes is all of that's all German scientists. That's all Nazis. Those are all, I mean, not every single well, one of them is probably Nazis. Let's back up a second. They're all West Germans. Because all of the scientists in the Soviet side, they were all East Germans. So either way, it was Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, with, with Warner Von Braun, for example, the guy that, that, that created the white little space shuttle we see on all the NASA t-shirts and all these types of things. Now, he was a Nazi. Now, when we look at a lot of what uh, we obviously look at the bad of what Nazis did and, you know, Germany like wants everybody to forget about that and it's just not going to happen. But if you look at some of the inventions they made, they made some pretty fascinating stuff that seemed beyond their anything anybody could manufacture. The whole reason we decided to even start or go to, to a world war was because we found out that Hitler had a biochemical nuclear bomb that had the Black Plague in it. The yeah, Black but again, Plague. Again, again, when we throw around the term Nazi, we're, we're talking about a time period when everybody in Germany who was an adult by nature was a Nazi. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they were Nazis. Dude, Hitler changed Christmas. He literally, there was three years in Germany where they took Christ out of Christmas. The only thing they could not take out of Christmas was Santa Claus. Because yep. apparently that went older back into religion. But it was the whole idea that we're worshiping a Jew. Like, no, that cannot happen. It lets you know what happens when you get a, a person that has a powerful voice, which leads into kind of what we're doing in a way. We're, I'm not saying we're Nazis. I'm saying the whole fact is we are creating something that people are listening to, they're feeding into, that are kind of responding to it in a way. That's the same thing with most political leaders. That's the same thing. It's, it's everywhere you see. And a lot of people are like, broadcasting, that's a weird job to get into. What do you want to do, radio? Like, no, there's so many other outlets you could go into. You could be uh, uh, anybody that's a good public speaker. Public speaking is probably one of the hardest, most difficult skills, but it is so beneficial. Like, uh, for example, you know, Elon Musk, well, he was on an interview with uh, Joe Rogan and everyone's like, he doesn't seem like he knows what he's talking about. He seems like he's too high to be talking. And it's all because he's too smart to dumb things down in a way he understands it for the people to listen to. There's only one person I know that can at least serenade me to sleep with his voice. And he talks about space in such a way I can understand. And that's Neil deGrasse Tyson, because that man is an overall good public speaker. But he's also a teacher, too. So, I mean, it goes hand in hand. Exactly. There's, a, there's these certain people out there that have a skill, have an ability to talk to others, to vibe off others, to be able to do improv, to be able to talk, not stutter so much. Yes, you'll have a stutter here and there when you're trying to reach for thoughts. But being able to go off on a tangent to a tangent to a tangent and keep on going and keep the conversation going is so difficult for anybody. And that's something you probably have to experience doing talk radio. When you have a guest on, yeah, you probably got to list the facts that you're, you have rambled out, but do you, do you follow that strict list or do you feel like you can dive into something a little bit more? Like you see one question like, oh, when did you really start this? Like, how was that going? Like, what, what made you think with that? Like, you obviously- I never, I, I never wrote down questions. I didn't follow any list. And that's what makes a good broadcaster. Do you have any tips for other people out here? Um, maybe even myself for broadcasting, things to do. I mean, obviously he's trying to schedule interviews and stuff, but there's probably someone out there listening that's like, I have a fascination with being a broadcaster, but someone's telling him right now that his voice is annoying because you have to have a voice like Morgan Freeman. Just one word. Listen. Yeah. Gather information. What's some of the, I guess, uh, famous interviews you've probably done, or not, I guess, famous, but most memorable to you or even a popular name out there? Well, it's interesting that you say um, interesting to me as opposed to famous, because there is a difference. And again, uh, in my book, it's nothing but celebrity after celebrity after celebrity, because uh, I've had a chance to talk to hundreds of them. But the most enjoyable interview I ever had was, um, I, I interviewed a group of women uh, who were at the time senior citizens. They were in their 70s and 80s. And they were war brides. I don't know if you're familiar with the war bride situation, at least here in this country. No, I, I don't. Um, during World War II, well, first of all, let me go back. Every year here in Canada, just like in the United States, you have Memorial Day, which is when you honor 
those who went to battle. Here, we do it on Remembrance Day, or as the British call it, our uh, Armistice Day, which is November 11th. That's when we celebrate our military. And every year, radio stations and television stations do all kinds of special shows going back, talking about the battles that have taken place in many of the wars, either World War I or World War II. Um, they also talk to people who are survivors of, of those campaigns, if they're still around. Of course, there's no one from World War I anymore, but World War II, definitely there's still a few. But the one thing I wanted to talk about on this particular show is I wanted to talk about people who didn't necessarily go to battle, but had but the war had a definite effect on them. People who were on the home front who had to work because a lot of the men were uh, were gone to battle, so women were working, that kind of thing. We had that here, Rosie the Riveter. She's oh, a main influence. Yep, she had yeah. you know showing women that we are strong because women had to step up and go into the factory and do man's jobs considered at the time. Yeah. Now that's a lot better that we don't have men and women jobs. But the idea back then was they didn't know what they were getting into, but they were willing to put in the efforts to help their country and also help their men get back home. Yep. Anyway, so war brides, these were young girls. They were 18, 19, 20 years old. They were women from um, England. They were women from uh, Dutch territories. They were places from Europe that were on the Allies' side, but they were their countries were literally blown to bits in certain degrees. These young women, in the, in the worst of this situation, they managed to find love. In this case, they fell in love with Canadian soldiers who were fighting the war, because war is not fought day in, day out by the same guys all the time. Some guys have furloughs. Some guys get to meet girls who are in the local towns where they are fighting these battles. And that's what happened. A lot of these guys fell in love they met young girls, young women, and they got married in a very quick period of time to men that they hardly knew. And then what would happen is these women were put on ships and they were sent to Canada to live with the in-laws of, or their now in-laws that they've never met. So especially here in Quebec, if someone was going to come to England, or, or from Dutch territories, and they didn't speak French, for instance, they might be living in a, in a home with in-laws who don't speak their language. And they don't know if their husband's going to come home because he's still off at the front and he may be killed. Do you see that? Did they explain that they did that for the love of their husband? Or yes. they did that because that was something they had to do? They didn't have to do it. They, they didn't like they, but, they it, but it was a it was a way their their husbands and by extension the Canadian military wanted to keep the families of these men safe. It's one thing for a man to meet someone, fall in love, and and then marry someone, and then go to the front, still worrying about that person who they've left behind, who's still in a war zone. Do you, think that, do you think they married so quick because they didn't know if that person, they were going to see that person again if they went off to war? Like, I, let's wait till you get back from war. Is that the whole kind of factor of just hopping right into the saddle real quick? Well, no, this, is, this was a time where back then people didn't worry about tomorrow because you don't know if tomorrow's going to come. Live in the moment. That's what they did. Anyway, so having a chance to talk to these women, when I talked to them, they were, like I said, in their 70s and their 80s, and they were absolute spitfires. The idea, sitting there talking to them for an hour, all I kept saying was, my God, these women were, must have been a handful when they were 20, because they're a handful now. I mean, these, <laughs> these were women who knew what they wanted, lived life to the fullest, they were amazing characters, and I thought, I'd love to meet someone like these gals. Yeah. They were something else. It's, you know, it's actually, I actually read a really, really, really fascinating history thing, and it's it, the only reason it's not in, a lot of Americans don't know about it, and you might not know about it, is because it's not in art history. It's actually in Rus Russian history. During World War II, there was a group of elite women that used to fly in, you know, the crop dusting airplanes, the open ones you see that spray the fields. They used to fly with bombs attached to them, and they would drop them off and blow up Nazi, sub, Nazi ships and all this stuff with them. They were known as the Night Witches. And they wore clothing that was men's clothing. They had the stuff, stuff 
they either stuff their sheets from their bed, like rip them and put them into their boots just so they can fit in them properly. They flew in the middle of, or in Russia territory, in the middle of the night, around midnight or so, um, in these airplanes, opened airplanes. So imagine the freezing cold, wearing clothing that does not fit you. And you're in an open airplane exposed to everything around you not knowing what what you're doing you're just you, you know you have a, a mission and the mission is blow up some nazi subs they were the most deadliest force of russian women known as the night witches i guarantee you look this up i'm telling you it is amazing to read these stories and these women that stepped up to the plate to help their country and that's when we say our, our country does not have a gender it does not have a specific uh, a specificity to whatever whoever wants to work for it it's it's all about passion and having this drive to push you forward which i feel like in society today it's something that a lot of people are now lacking and a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that the russians were on our side in world war ii and they everybody was (laughs) and, and they suffered the heaviest casualties it was. It wasn't even the thing. Like, hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, you know, I'm on America's side. No, it was all like, there's a problem here. Its name is Germany, and we all have to kind of put our little petty differences aside for a minute and handle this situation before it escalates. Because literally, Germany is this small little country compared to the others it was at war with, and it was so close to literally taking over the world. They were, they, I don't know how it happened so fast, but, you know, there's a quote like um, that uh, their tanks, these Wather tanks, were basically like they, they were equal to at least five American tanks. But for every five American t- or every one Wather tank, there were six American tanks. It was the idea that we were cranking out just supplies faster than Germany was, but Germany was creating better weapons better everything everything was more like long lasting and more like i guess powerful and we were just cranking them out getting just trying to overflow them overcrowd them and see if that's what that's what we ended up winning with and just having a, a higher number of people against them and having just more stuff and they literally the soldiers were told hey drop your weapon once you kill a german soldier and pick up theirs because it was way better it was way better they they had we had some sly tactics whether it was with the dummy tank which is like a little inflatable tank that used to sit in the distance and make the soldiers think that there was a real thing so they would get scared and not try and do any attacks or anything but there was so much crazy things that went along with that and you know it, it it leads down into the propaganda those techniques that they did and then hearing how propaganda is not just a type of form of this, of of slander or anything like this it can be anything to boast anything it's basically just putting up a poster saying hey this movie's coming out like you're broadcasting something to an audience and I, i'm trying to bring it around back to broadcasting because we're diving deep into the world war and um it, it's it's just I, I it's where my mind boggles that there isn't more people like you, like kind of what I'm doing, where we're trying to get people stories and experiences. We all have one. We all have lived a life. You can't tell me at the age of 40 or 50, 30, 20, it doesn't matter that you haven't had a one thought about this world that we're all living in together. Oh, I think we all have, but I mean, I also also don't take a lot of things in life seriously. That's one of the things I've always done in my career in my life. So, you know, I just I just roll with the punches as the saying goes. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, obviously, you want to be more like water and flow around the rock than just stop right at it. But you know, for me, like you know, I'm, I dive deep into the comedy world. If you watch my Netflix history, it's all comedy specials and stuff like this. I love to joke around. I'm, I'm practically never being serious. But I started having a fascination with people when I started seeing what uh, uh, how amazing people are. And I think a lot of people lose that. And for a time, I did too. I, I, I worked at Just for Last for 20 years, and I also produced their satellite radio shows for 10. What types of stuff did you like to do on Just for Laughs? That's something I want to I hear. Well, just for laughs, I mean, I was, first of all, I was the, the, the backstage voice for many of their shows. I also hosted their satellite radio shows. Um, I also produced some shows that were done at Just for Laughs through the course of the years. Um, the, probably the biggest show I produced and hosted, by the way, uh, was a tribute to Sherwood Schwartz. Sherwood Schwartz was the man who created Gilligan's Island. He created the Brady Bunch. Yeah. 
And uh, so I produced a show where Sherwood was brought to town. It was two nights, actually. Uh, the first night was a tribute to Gilligan's Island, and the second night was a tribute to uh, the Brady Bunch. The first night, it was Bob Denver and Sherwood Schwartz together. Uh, Bob Denver, who was playing, who played Gilligan. And the second night, it was Barry Williams, who played, played Greg Brady and Sherwood Schwartz. So I hosted a Q&A in front of an audience of uh, 400. So we played clips, we played stuff that had never been seen before, like the hidden pilot or the lost pilots. I, I lost, I'm doing air quotes here, because I think Sherwood always knew where it was, he just wanted to keep it hidden. <laughs> but uh, the lost pilot of, of Gilligan's Island, we played that, we, there was a Q&A, we got a lot of people to answer uh, questions from the cast members uh, of the show. It was, a, it was a fine evening. That's the kind of thing I used to roll done at Just for Lines. Do you think that a lot of people see, like, have you been kind of criticized for just kind of being an attention seeker because you're so into broadcasting, you're so passionate about it? Well, no, because the attention's not on me. The attention's ever on the, whoever the guest is. Well, because usually, like, a lot with um, a lot of people think about radio, surprisingly, at least where I'm from, is that they think that the person's kind of just all about themselves. Yes, they're interviewing someone, but at the same time, it's sometimes you there are those types of radio voices out there that do just seem like they want to hear themselves talk. They don't really give the interviewer or a person who they're talking to that's supposed to be the show's about a chance to even get really a word out there in the middle of a sentence. The dude will just cut them off and be like, well, hold on. We're going to plug this real quick. And it's all run by like this advertisements. I see it. And it just, it makes me kind of sick a little bit. Like, I don't mind if you plug anything. I don't, I don't mind that, but basing the whole show around it, you know, I've, I've had people that wanted to talk and the whole time I'm sitting there trying to get a conversation and get an experience out of them. Like, what's your life growing up? Like, tell me about it. What made you decide you wanted to chase down your own comic book store or something like this? And they're just like, well, if you buy my shirt, at I'm like, whoa, bro, come on, man. Like what happened? I thought, you know, I, I seen your show. Why can't you? be the person that I, I know or the person I want to know that maybe the guy behind the mask. I've seen people that act completely different from how they do on their podcasts. And I tell them at the end, I'm like, it's amazing. You're an amazing person. Don't try and hide yourself from anything. If that's a character you want to display, but you know, my show is open-ended. It's, it's, it's everything. It's just a conversation. I want to get down to the real basis of people. Cause we all got something that interests us. I mean, do you want to continue doing broadcasting for the rest of your life or working for a company or do you want to produce your own? That's what I do. I mean, I've, I've broadcasting is the only thing I've ever wanted to do, and I never wanted to do anything else. Do you like own your own station? Do you want to expand to other networks? Like, kind of get picked up for like maybe a television thing where you're like, I don't want to own my own station because, and that's the other reason why I never went into radio management because I don't want to be radio management because being radio management doesn't mean you get to do radio. You get to tell other people how to do radio. <laughs> and you felt like you would be more of. I guess, uh, the guy that sets everything up rather than being involved in the actual final product. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to be radio management. Never been my does. And, there, and by extension, I don't want to own a radio station. That, to me, wouldn't be fun at all. You feel like so? How do you so? How do you um, broadcast now? Do you what? Do you just work for a special company? No, um, this show that the show that I do, the Stuff File program, is one that is is heard online. It is heard on several small radio stations. It's heard on stations around the world. And uh, I created, when, when I was working at a radio station here in, in town, here in Montreal, I, I did a radio show for 20 years and it came to an end because like everything else, some, everything comes to an end. And I decided that I was gonna continue the type of show that I was doing on the radio in a different format. And that's how I created the Stuff File program. And I decided I was going to put it on other radio stations that would want to play it and, and uh, start my own network, as it were, that way, uh, of ad hoc radio stations, no matter where they were, to play this show. And that's basically what I've done. Do you think that, um, what would you say your best talents would be in broadcasting, which is how you can kind of flow off a conversation, or would you say it'd be your voice? Because I know a couple, I know probably a lot of broadcasting companies that look at the, the voice of somebody. They want someone that's appealing and it's going to level to the crowd. You know, the, the thing I, I've always found about broadcasters in general is you can have the greatest voice in the world and it doesn't mean anything if you have nothing to say. Ooh. So it's, it's not the voice. It's, it's what's behind the voice. You don't think that sometimes like companies look at somebody's voice and just give them a script? 
they don't like because you, you hear someone that's like and then there was up that and like he talks like a really like let's say heavy 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 smokers cough like barely can i mean understand a word but if they give him a script they think you're still going to choose them well, I don't know. I, you know, I've never, I've been lucky enough to have a long career in broadcasting where no one ever gave me a script, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not into uh, what, what is referred to liner card radio. It's never been something I've been interested in. You prefer so, doing like improv, more flowing off the conversation. Exactly. So I've I had to work with a script, for, unless I was as a news anchor. Yes, I had to work with a script, but it was also a script that I wrote. So, but you, did you feel? Did you still feel structured when you were doing that, though? Like writing something for a news thing, even though you wrote it, did you still feel like you had some guidelines you kind of were following? Well, there was always guidelines you have to follow. I follow my own guidelines in putting my show together each week here. Uh, so there, there are guidelines because it's you know. Yeah, but it's different when you're running it though. When it's different when it's your own guidelines. You know what I mean? Like obviously, like a news broadcast things. Like obviously, this is things you can't really say, and you can do this. You can create whatever you want to say when you ask the person questions. You can say it however you want, but make sure you're not saying it in this manner, this manner, this manner, or this manner. Like well, you news, adapt news to the person you have on. News doesn't work that way. It's it's the the it's the basic facts the who what when where and why, it's it's not uh, you know th this idea and, and it, it's something that's happening of course a lot in the states as as the the breakdown of you know going from the topic of mainstream news versus right wing news. I didn't work in a business like that. I worked in just news. There was not an agenda beyond getting the facts out. That's it. Do you think the news kind of has turned in a way from where it first started? seems like everything you turn on television now applies to the mean world syndrome where everything that gets played on the news is just bad things. And it creates kind of more people to be enclosed and not want to go experience the world because of how fearful it might be by just the way the media kind of projects it. Yeah, but you're talking about bad things like like it's something new. I mean, it was something that was said back in the days of print, radio, of print uh, journalism at the turn of the 20th century. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, and, and the fact is, but the that whole never, thing is that, that never changed. I mean, by 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 definition, um, there are two things in life that 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 human beings espouse on it, when, when they get together socially: news, which is almost always bad, and gossip, which is almost always salacious. That's just human nature. But why does that have to be a part of human nature? Why do we have to compare each other to that? That's the main question. Why, why, why is it the fact that when I turn on the television, it has to be some crime going on? I already know there's crime out there. That's, that's been obvious throughout history. I don't need to focus on that every single – as soon as I wake up or I'm trying to maybe eat a bowl of Frosted Flakes. I don't want to see you know, three kids got shot, two schools burned down. I don't want to see that. I get it. It's really happening. It happens all over the world. Nobody's focusing on other things. Nobody's focusing on maybe throwing in a good segment here or there. It's all just structured bad stuff like this is what's going on around you. Be aware, be aware, be aware. I get it. Yes, it is very important to be hyper aware of everything around you. And yes, it is to be aware of the problems. But the fact is, when you focus everything, your whole network on just the problems, you create an atmosphere for people where they don't want to experience anything anymore. They don't want to go out into the world thinking that there's going to be that person that shot up the grocery store in Idaho in your state or in your country. They don't want to know that. They don't want to know that could be you. That could be, you know, that's gone. And I feel like the, the news plays off that and feeds off of it. And I guess that's just because that gets them views, but. It, well, and, and there it is it, because it gets them views. If they didn't do that stuff, People would not watch. That's. I'd still want to go see the the jet skiing squirrel. I'd still want to go see that. I'd still. I wish the news would play that. I wish. You know. I. I barely, rarely, except on early morning, like news or something. You turn it on and you're hearing something interesting in the morning. And I think it's the whole fact of nothing has fucking happened yet. Nothing has. Nothing has hit the fan. Nothing has giant impact. There hasn't been a giant shootout at 2 o'clock in the morning, at least where I'm at, in my local news station. You know what I mean? There's nothing they can report on that's so tragic. They can report on the stuff yesterday. I'm like, I thought about this yesterday. It's not surprising. 
But in the morning, they're like, and this little dog opened up the door and got himself a slice of cake. And I'm like, that's I, that's nice to see in the morning. That's better. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather see that than, you know, somebody got shot or something. That, that kind of keeps me level-headed for the day and not going out into the world thinking like, oh, my God, like, is this world just corrupt and evil? It is. But it has some good stuff to it. Why aren't we highlighting the best stuff about it? Mostly, I think if there were networks defined to doing that, it would be a much better world. People would probably be a hell of a lot happier. I doubt it. <laughs> I really but, doubt it. Why do you doubt it? I I don't think people people are drawn to uh, people. I mean, people often say that they go to NASCAR because they really really enjoy the races, but they really keep their eyes peeled when there's a crash. Yeah, that's just human nature. Well, the whole fact is you want to see, you know, you during, see explosions. During, during, during the crash, no one's going to the concession stand. That's just a fact. It's unfortunate, but it's just a fact. Uh, you know, I do agree with that because, um, yeah, I have been at fault going to a NASCAR race and hoping for a crash. But I don't and want anybody way, to be hurt. And by the way, I'm, I, I'm a Formula One uh, fan, and I've gone to the races, and I do not want to see a crash. I want to see... I want to see elite driving. I do not want to see a crash. Then, so why do you, why are you, you're basically disagreeing with yourself in a way that people want to go see a crash, but there's people out there I'm, like. I'm, 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 I'm not disagreeing with myself. I'm disagreeing with human nature. Human nature is for them to do that. There are a lot of things in life that, that we as humans do that I have no interest in. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, don't, no I don't want to, I don't want to read no books, interest in, but... I have no interest in the crash, but I know that the majority of the population, are interested in the crash. Yeah, but do you think that's human nature? Or do you I, think, I, I do think, you think that's a development of what society has become today? We're built kind of on a rocky foundation. I think I don't, that's, I, I don't think that's any different than people have been since the beginning. I don't think it's any different. The beginning's where it all went wrong. The begin we started on the, the shittiest block ever. We started with a, a, a fake story. We started with something that was a, a lie to us. You know, we, we constantly live in this lie. And the whole fact is, I think there's people out there like you that actually have a passion for seeing formula racing. Now, imagine that. But taking that into the aspect of everybody feeling feels something like that and something <clears throat> when it comes to something they care about and something they're actually passionate about. But we lost the passion and the focus on the important things we should truly be caring about. And that is with what's going on in the world today. We're more focused on the bad stuff. I think if we turned like how you feel about Formula One racing and not wanting to see a crash, wanting to see the actual race completed, wanting to see fast cars driving at high speeds because what they're doing is amazing. My great-grandfather did NASCAR before it was NASCAR. He drove on the dirt roads and the tracks that they had, won millions of trophies. And I, I, I had a fascination. He never even talked about it. He's like, I just had a passion for the sport. I was like, you never were worried and all these things? He goes, no. And I asked my grandma, I'm like, Did, were you just hoping somebody would crash? Is that why you showed up? She goes, no, because I cared about the thing. He was interested in it. I got interested in it. You love it. I think if you take the time to get interested about anything and you take the time to find to love anything, you will truly, truly not care about death, murder, violence, all this stuff that the media projects. I think the media and people have lost that true aspiration that you have with Formula One racing. Best race I ever saw was uh, 1980, Nicky Lauda, who uh, had, unfortunately, Nicky Lauda passed away just earlier this year, um, drove in the Australian Grand Prix in a race that was uh, during a driving rain with slick tires. And it was just a masterful race where he was it 1980 1981 no it couldn't be 81 1980 um it was just a masterful race where watching him drive I, I couldn't believe that he was driving that fast in an open wheeled car in the rain and he won it was an amazing race yeah, it's see it's stuff like that. There's there's those types of moments where those things are like, holy crap. Same thing you can compare to uh, other sports like football or something. When someone scores a touchdown, like, did you see that? Like you had everybody rocking. Like you weren't waiting for that guy to get injured. You weren't waiting for that guy to break his leg. You were waiting for something amazing to happen, and that's something amazing. But now it seems like 
with how movies are all adapted to and TV shows are all adapted to have an explosion go off every five minutes is because we lost the attention span. We lost the true necessity and we got human nature mixed up with something completely different. I think it's human instinct to, I guess, I'm. if you want to go say human nature is the instinct or whatever, if you want to compare that to how people truly want to see somebody else kind of something crazy happen or something get hurt, I think it's, I wouldn't chalk it up to just somebody getting hurt. Sometimes people are just, are there to see something crazy happen. Now, it doesn't have to be bad. It could be crazy good. Seeing Michael Jordan or somebody slam dunk for the first time, you're like, holy shit. Like, seeing that, and you're like, just completely like, I did not know that could exist. And then it, I think we all have just, we just have a wantingness for more. We have a wantingness to be uh, inspired. We have a wantingness to see something amazing being pulled off in front of our eyes, which seems like a miracle. And, you know, we truly only have those moments anymore with ourselves. We only truly are walking around and have a true sense of like, wow, you know, I'm glad to be alive. Like sometimes we rarely have that, but why is that such a rare occasion that that has to pop off? And I think it's because of the way we just look at the world today. We see it as this decrepit, bandaged up hunk of ball of trash that has no, nothing good about it, has no little light. And I'm like, if there's something there, it's deep, deep under that shitty surface. It's a freaking diamond in the rough. And I feel like all we're doing nowadays is just covering it up. We're just stacking more stuff on top of it. I'm like, let's not stack. Let's take start taking stuff off. Let's take the load off, okay? If you think of Atlas, like the guy that holds up the world, you know, you look at that guy and you're like, wow, he's got the whole world on his back. That must be a heavy load. Ah, but we could all do our part and make it lighter. We can do everything. Why does the world have to feel like it's resting on everybody's shoulders? I just, that's my fascination. I'm like, there's people out here that are broadcasting like you that have a passion for it, that get inspired by it. They don't care about, you know, views or obviously you want views to promote your product. But at the same time, you already were sitting at the side streets watching kids play and you were sitting there recording the action. Like there are people that love to make Ikea furniture love to do these types of things that might be tasking for somebody else. It just means it wasn't your fit. It wasn't your piece. You know, you, 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 you have a different set thing in your life you want to do. And I think a lot of us turn to structure ourselves nowadays because that's what's popular and that's the trend. I, I can't argue that at all. Uh, I, although I will say that I think one of the reasons we become uh, more insular is when we don't have a, something or a, a cause for the greater good. You know, um, it was Tom Brokaw who who coined the phrase "the greatest generation." That is the generation who went off to fight the war, which goes back to what I said earlier about the women who were the war brides. Uh, not only were did they fight the war and and won the war, but they were also the generation that lived through the depression. Yeah, that- my great grandfather was one of those people. He lived through the depression, and he was like, "I was talking to him. I'm like, can you tell me about it?" He's like, "Why do you want to know about it?" I'm like, "Cause." That's in history. I don't want to read it from a textbook. Some dude that wrote it down and didn't experience it. I want to hear it for myself. I mean, there's crazy things like this. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's. it's I, I'm. I think the same way when you say that. Like there are there. Are, you had an interesting interview with. They were called heroes' wives. Is that what you said it was called? War brides. War brides. That's awesome. There are people that stepped up to the plate. It shows you have to truly care about something and you will be motivated to do it. If you say you have something you want to do, if you want to be a broadcaster, if you want to do something, you're like, I want to do that. That's my dream. Then why aren't you taking every step forward and doing that? Why do you come home, go to sleep, come home, go to sleep? You expect just to sleep all day and go to work. And then unless your job is in broadcasting, then you're doing what you want. But you know, if you if you do that for the rest of your life, you disclude yourself from social interaction. How do you expect to be a broadcaster? How do you expect to do interviews if you don't want to interview anybody? Yep. And I, I'm glad. I First of all, I was even had the chance to be able to sit down with you and get you on my podcast, man, because it, it's, 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 it's inspiring for me, too, to know that there's people out there that have a passion for something like this where a lot of people don't really see the benefit of. And it's where you have to highlight the aspect of there's probably a fascination or a group of people out there that um, want to build Ikea furniture. I guarantee you, I'm not one of those people, but you know, Reddit, all these types of forums, all these types of blogs, they're all fit for people's interests. And the fact that someone's going to go onto that forum or go onto that blog and then crap on it because it's something they're not interested in. It's like, why are you even involving yourself with that problem 
or something that you consider a problem. And that's just another person that enjoys something. You're just voicing well, your opinion in a bad light. Now, now, now you're describing probably the major problem with social media today. And there's a lot of great things about social media, but that, what you just described, is the major problem. And that is people who need to, who, who feel the need to insert themselves in a discussion in a negative light where a, a discussion wasn't even warranted. You know, for instance, on Facebook, um, I have the maximum amount of friends on Facebook, which means I see a lot of stuff in my newsfeed every day. Now, I could, when somebody puts on something on Facebook that says, wasn't yesterday's episode of Game of Thrones great? And there's a million people commenting and shitting all over that. You know, now, I happen to have never watched Game of Thrones. Because Same here, bro. High five through the microphone. It's, it's just something that's not interesting to me. But I don't feel the need to rain on somebody else's parade because they're enjoying Game of Thrones. I'm not going to go online and, and, and add to the thread, oh, how could you watch that garbage? The show sucks. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's just not for me. And if you're enjoying it and other people are enjoying it, then then enjoy that thread. So when somebody comes on a thread that I put up online and people are, are just dumping on it, I'm saying, you know, like, 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 for instance, I, I recently posted the fact that um, um, uh, The Lion King has already crossed the, the, the billion dollar mark. Yeah, I saw that. And I said, and, and some people were saying, Oh, I don't know why they bothered to remake that one. I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know why they're doing that. And I said, well, I guess they don't have your $17, but then they didn't need it, did they? <laughs> yeah, like, why, why spew on this? I'm just putting up a story that is a fact. If, if you don't like it, just ignore it. Yeah, it's... You know, it's it's ridiculous. There are so much stuff that comes out. It feels like everybody, you know, social media, like you said, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's given so many people a voice that probably don't really need to have a voice. I, you know, I appreciate everybody voicing out their experience and everything like that. But when some one person fuels someone to say something crappy to another person, then they feel like their voice is important and then they have to go everywhere possible and crap on that idea or thing in general. And it's the whole idea, famous comedians, famous actors, anybody, celebrity, does not look at comments. They do not do that. They At least some, most of them don't because they understand the, how much time it is taking away from them to worry about what someone else is not interested in. I do not like a lot of recreations of new movies and new shows because it seems like it lost the original essence to it. That's fine. I don't go and tell people not to see it. I just say it's not for me because it's not meant for me as the audience viewer. You know, everything that is created in this world, whether it's your voice, my voice, experience, your, you know, it's all these things that we have done or have something to say. Someone's going to love this episode. Someone might hate this episode. It doesn't matter because if it doesn't, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. It's the best part about closing it or, you know, getting out of the window. You don't have to go and find every tool and necessity to cripple it and put it down in a way. Like, it doesn't make sense. But people spend more time doing that on social media nowadays, covered in Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to say, any type of outlet. It's it's giving a voice for the voiceless, but sometimes there's a reason why those people were voiceless in the first place because they have nothing nice to say. We're so willing to compare and shit on each other all the time. We don't take the time to understand one another. Whether someone podcasts with me saying they want to be a professional interviewer, and I've had this happen, and he's not good at interviewing at all. I'm not going to sit there and be like, look, man, I don't think it's for you. Like, I'm not going to say that at all. I sat there and say, go for it. You know, you put in enough time and effort. It's like a muscle. You'll learn how to learn how to not stutter, you know, just be able to talk, be able to flow with the conversation and be able to just to just it be yourself. And I, I, that's what I, I, that's what I told him. I was like, you're going to learn to be yourself, man. You got to learn to express, you know, you're, it's going to go nowhere, but upwards for you. I told him. And he was like, thanks, man. And then like, I, it's just that it didn't take any amount of effort out of my time of my day to say that it would have taken more time to go and tell him he's nothing. He's useless. Get into an argument that would have been pointless and then completely go and start crapping on his stuff. I would, I, I wouldn't ever even consider that because it doesn't make sense. 
we are all working here together. Why the hell are we going to try and cripple one another to get to the top, which is popular nowadays? Absolutely. And you know, you 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 brought up the point of of um, remakes of movies, and what a lot of people don't understand is that each generation literally remakes the previous generation's movies, and it's been going on since the dawn of of movies. Everything gets thrown thrown back into the washer and then brought right back out. It's all doing that. My grandfather brought, brought, highlighted brought it back. Out, brought back out with newer technology as well. You know, people talk about such films as, for instance, uh, The Titanic, which was at the one at the time it came out, the biggest movie of all time. The Titanic was a remake. Yeah. Well, it made me cry, so. You know, uh, The Titanic was a remake. Uh, Al Pacino's Scarface was a remake. Um, Humphrey Bogart's Maltese Falcon was a remake. Charlton Heston's Ben-Hur was a remake. It goes on and on and on and on and on. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Steven Spielberg next year is coming out with a remake of West Side Story. You know, do you think it's weird that people will shit on a movie remake and not shit on a song remake? Like, how many covers do you like better than the original? Well, for instance, um, growing up, I was I grew up as a fan of Motown, so I wasn't a big fan of the fact that the Beatles came around and, and did uh, Barrett Strong's Money, That's All I Want, which was a big hit for the Beatles. It was also a big hit for Barrett Strong, but he did it first. Um... The song by Marvin Gaye, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yeah. It's a remake of Gladys Knight and the Pips, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. If you look, though, that's common because what we call original and ideas, it's original because that person developed it and adapted it to their own way. They didn't blank for blank copy it. You know, I always mention this. Leonardo da Vinci said... Art is never finished, just left undone. Because he believed to the very end, there was always something you can add. It's the same thing with your life. You're constantly making improve it, improvements. You're never the finished product. Unfortunately, un unfortunately, uh, George Lucas took that quote to uh, light. And that's the one thing I've never understood about certain artists. It's interesting that you brought up Leonardo da Vinci. I, I like the fact that he, he drew the Mona Lisa and it's hanging in the Louvre and that's the finished product. The fact that George Lucas can go back and tinker with his original Star Wars, I am not happy with that. Oh, dude, dude, you're talking to a giant Star Wars fan, and I was actually gonna ask you that when you said you had a fascination with space, I was gonna ask you if you were a Trek person or if you were a Star of the Wars, which I'm glad to know that uh, I, you probably were, since you're at the age, you probably were, um, you kind of involved with both just because Star Trek came first. But still, Star Wars is amazing to me. I, a lot of people didn't like that they sold it to Disney franchise. Um, I, I don't see any problems with it. I think they just found a new outlet to reach to a new audience. I've actually talked to Disney audio engineers that go and see the movies now, even though they've seen the originals many times. And they said that it's just not adapted for them, and they still enjoy them too. But seeing their kids' faces light up, you know, it brings a sense to be able to connect. The fact that I can watch a Western movie that came out when my grandpa was my age or something that he was inspired by, and I see it now, and I'm like, wow, that's really difficult to watch. He's like, don't you understand? Like, this was meant for the time of when I was a kid, and then you were exposed to cell phones. You were exposed to, you know, just the list goes on. And he goes, that's stuff I didn't have. So this was the newest thing back then. And you see where things change. And it's cool to see that he can still react to newer movies nowadays. I don't know how many times he laughs at like an Adam Sandler flick. And it's it's all about, you know, adapting to the audience. It's all about, you know, everything evolves in a way. People evolve. You know, you're not the same person you were seven years ago. You know, your body naturally changes cells every seven years. You're not the same person. And you look at things of this sort, it's all about adapting and evolving. We're all becoming something. So why don't we evolve into something greater when it comes to how society is? Because that seems like to be the only thing that's stuck in the mud. It's the only thing that seems like it's not going anywhere. It's just ending up turning into the same crippled little shit. Yep. And I, I, I know I always kind of, it's just, we're all here together, man. And you know, I think that with stuff like you doing what you love to do, um, if more people just decided this is what they wanted to do more with life, 
it would it would be a, a more of a fascination for everyone to get along and be able to truly do what they want to do. I mean, I know you don't want to end up at the age of 90 years old and someone rolls you up to the window and said, you know, ask you how your life was. You're like, you know, it was all right. You know, I lived it. It's like, okay, but did, did you did you experience it? Did you fully grasp what was going on around you? Did you fully have fun and do what you felt like you're accomplished at, at your last moments? Well, to be, to be honest, those are the kind of questions that um, my, my feeling has always been. Someone who asked me questions like that, it's like, what's it to you? My life was my life. I enjoyed it. Let's move on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And, you know, I, I just have a fascination with understanding, you know, I, I don't care if you accomplish everything you want or if you have regrets at the end of your days. I, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not affecting me, but I, I, I just would like to know. I would like to know if you have any advice for someone that wants to get the best out of their life, that wants to get the, the right moment going forward. It's, it's all about, like, there are people out here that are going to listen to your voice, listen to your thoughts, listen to your experiences, and they're going to be like, wow, that's, that's turn stuff into a reality it's going to seem like it's obtainable for some people who definitely think that they might not be or inspired at all to do anything and i think that's the main part of just my podcast in general is just to get that out there because we all got something to share we all live here together take the time to know one each other and i want to i want to wrapping up here i do want to give you a little bit um of a spot to you know, so people can find you and get your information out there. Because after my talk with you, man, I can tell you, you're a good person. I know that for a fact. And, you know, I have another one fooled. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) My plan worked perfectly. No, it's, it's, it, 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 it doesn't, it just, I can tell when it comes to just sitting down and talking to you with an hour, it's not hard to do. And the fact that you're willing to be on it was amazing. And it's, it's all about helping one another, whether you help me with my podcast or just maybe helping each other in just a little bit of conversation. You know, there are no good or bad conversations. There's just things that came to different conclusions, whether we agree on everything that was said or not. It doesn't matter. We still were able to talk and understand each other a little bit better. And I appreciate you for letting me get a chance to do that with you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast.